Thanks, buddy. So I'm going to ask you to talk to each other, people around you. What is or was your favorite game to play while growing up? Ready, set, go. Okay. Just some volunteers. What were some of the favorites? Monopoly. Yep. What was it? Euchre. Chess. Balls against the wall. Football with wooden shoes. Wow. It's almost like those take the old uh, wheel and just run it with a stick down the road, right? Scrabble. Yeah. Pond hockey. Yeah. I remember my, uh, a couple of my friends uh, would come over at like 8 o'clock at night and we'd start playing Risk. And somewhere around 4 or 5 in the morning, one of my parents would walk in, what are you still doing awake? We're like, it's just one more. We've almost went. And we are just bleary-eyed playing this game. So another question. When traveling, when traveling, so think of being in a car or on a long trip, what games did you play to pass the time? All right, go ahead. How many people said I spy? A handful of people. What other games? Counting what? Counting ox as you drove down the road. I've heard of counting cows and counting horses too. Minister's cat. I'll come back to that in a minute. That was my son. Others. Magnets, playing with magnets, okay. The alphabet game, yep, trying to find them on the billboards as you go along. License plate game, we play that a lot, and I got a picture of Hawaii once, and I texted it back to my kids. So I was like, I saw Hawaii today. And that was in the winter in Michigan, so. <laughs> um, yeah, he was lost. <laughs> So one of the games we play is, is one we call a min the minister's cat. And it's kind of humorous in our family because I really don't like cats. And my kids kind of poke at me with this, I'm sure. But you start off a sentence, the minister's cat is a, and then there's a blank, and you have to fill in an adjective. So the minister's cat is a acrobatic cat. And then you go on to the next letter. Can you come up with a B word? I'm putting you on the spot. A bad cat. Then we need a C word. Clever cat. And you go on and you work your way through. X is really hard. We allowed xylophonic cat once. Uh, we, we xylophone playing cat. We come up with all sorts of variations like that. Yeah. So each adjective starts with the next letter of the alphabet. Only one word adjectives when we're playing seriously, and we go until only one person remains. So it's a way of passing time in the car. 
but it's also a way of involving everybody in the family as we go because it, everybody can play this and, and add on. The reason I bring that up is, is there is a sense in this particular psalm of that type of playfulness. Playing games with friends, uh, doing something in the car where you're trying to create a, a sense of laughter and a sense of wonder and, and, and you talk with each other. And, and, and this psalm, we don't see it in the English, but in the Hebrew is an alphabet acrostic. So it, each line in the psalm starts with the next letter of the Hebrew alphabet and it works all the way through the alphabet all the way. Uh, from, from the beginning to the end. So there is a, 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 a certain playfulness to this psalm that the way they even structured it. Uh, there's, in the beginning part of it, the first seven or eight verses, uh, there's nine different words related to praise or telling somebody. So you get tell somebody, you get they speak, they celebrate, they make known, they meditate, they praise, they exalt. Uh, there's all these words that uh, in the Hebrew, they're, they're essentially just piling them on, one on top of another, uh, to, to say the same thing, but say it slightly differently. Uh, and and there, there's a, a kind of a building sense of emotion and excitement that comes through uh, the psalm as you go through. There's also, verse 4 to 7 has this little bit of a motif. I don't know you, if you caught that well. Well, Betty was reading it. Let me, let me just read a little bit of it here. One generation commends your works to another. They tell of your mighty acts. They speak of the glorious splendor of your majesty, and I will meditate on your wonderful works. They tell of the power of your awesome works, and I will proclaim your great deeds. They celebrate your abundant goodness and joyfully sing of your righteousness. And you get in there just this little bit of, of back and forth. And it's almost as if you have one crowd over here that would be saying one thing and the other crowd over here would be responding. And sometimes we do that in our singing, don't we? We do kind of these back and forth songs or we sing in a round and, and we, we kind of echo each other or go back and forth. And that there is a sense in the psalm that they're even bringing that type of playfulness and joyfulness into it. In some sense, it's a party that's happening. That's what's happening in this psalm. It weaves together in here who God is and what God does. And, and it weaves them together. So this psalm has lots of statements about the Lord is... The Lord is righteous, the Lord is good, the Lord is gracious and compassionate. Those Lord is statements. But it also has what the Lord does, the mighty acts of God. The Lord upholds those who are, are weak. The Lord uh, comes alongside of. It, it has a whole bunch of words that describes the actions and activity of God, especially the last half, verses 13 through 20, have a lot of this is what God does many ways, this is kind of a, a post-resurrection, even though it was before the resurrection. It's a post-resurrection type of party. They're standing around, they're singing, they're dancing, they're laughing. There's a festive nature to this psalm. And it's a, a psalm meant to encourage and build up God's people and, and bring out those senses of joy and laughter. But it also has a direction to it. It ends it ends and says, this party's not big enough. 
We need all of creation to praise God. It's great that we're doing it, but the vision of why we're doing it is so that the rest of creation will join us. We want everybody and everything to praise God together. Along with those observations, I want to highlight three emphases that come out in this psalm, and, and we'll slow down a little bit in this space. One is the language of generation. In, in verse 4, we have from generation to generation. It, it literally says, generation to generation commends your works to each other. One generation telling another generation about what God has done. You know, I experienced this a little bit this week myself. On Thursday, I went up to, to visit Arnolda Beacon Camp. Arnolda is 97 years old, one of our older members. She's been in the hospital for a month, and, and we spent time just talking through what that journey has been like for her to be in the hospital and waiting and waiting and waiting. And she said, but God's good. And so I said, Arnolda, you've lived a lot and seen a lot. Tell me a little bit about God's goodness. Where have you experienced and seen joy? And she started way back when she was living in the Netherlands as a kid and, and came here in 1951 and then got married in 53. And, and she kept telling me all these things and, and she still had specific dates attached to them about this is when God was good to me. She said there were other times where we were in pain, where we experienced brokenness in our family. And she got choked up as she was talking about those two. And then she came back, God's good. And she talked about the hope of her salvation in Jesus Christ. And I sat there at 44 years old, realizing I haven't even lived half of what she has lived yet. And she is telling me about the stories of God's goodness and passing them on. Uh, what a privilege. It's also a privilege to go the other way, to sit and wonder with children. I, I saw this week uh, a, a, Facebook, a Facebook post. I think that's where I saw it. I didn't actually tell you. But Dawn, Dawn's been doing some things with her kids on nature journaling. And she got permission from her kids to post a couple pictures of what they were observing in creation. And I thought, what wonder a slowing down to see things in creation and go, wow, look at what God is doing right in front of our eyes. And through her kids' eyes, being able to see the wonder of springtime coming back again and the wonder of the buds coming out. And there is a sense with that wonder of a curiosity that as we grow older, we often lose. And her kids were paying attention to it. And through her kids being able to share that, it evoked in me a sense of, yeah, I want to go outside and watch something. I want to watch a plant. <laughs> a sense of wonder at what God is at work doing. I think those are the things that this, this psalm is trying to get us to start paying attention to. From generation to generation, it's not just we, the older generation, have all the answers for the younger generation. Come listen to us. It is a sense of sharing stories and wonder back and forth about God's goodness and the way we catch glimpses of God at work in the world. And the psalm is trying to get us together as God's people to start doing some of that. 
It's got this verse, and, and I actually preached on this, this psalm last fall and focused just on this verse. And it was because we were in a series talking about some of the major Hebrew words in the word hesed, which is God's covenantal faithfulness, is in this verse. And it's, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. Essentially, all that this psalm is trying to say is this is who God is. Haven't you experienced that yet? Have you encountered this God who is gracious and compassionate? Tell me some of how you've experienced him. Where have you seen him? Maybe it's been that you've experienced his slow to anger. We need to hear that. As a people who are broken and sinful and who again and again fall short of God's glory, we need to be reminded by each other again and again that God is slow to anger. He's full of compassion. I mean, that's what we were, we've been doing all through that Lenten season, reminding ourselves week after week about how God sent his son Jesus Christ to die in our place as that 2 Corinthians passage we read earlier said, to become sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. And we, we spent that Lenten season moving towards that cross and paying attention to what God has done for us in Jesus Christ so that our sins might be forgiven. And in our sins being forgiven that we would realize how good and gracious and compassionate God is, how God is slow to anger, how he abounds in love, not just because it's a good feeling, but because of what he did in Jesus Christ on the cross to take away our sins. And, and what happened after that, he rose again from the dead to give us new life and the assurance that our sins will never be the end of the story for us. But Jesus Christ's resurrection has opened up a whole new life. As J.D. was praying and, and talking about death, that final enemy being put under Christ's feet, we actually, through this psalm, as we start paying attention to this verse, the Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love, and we wonder and marvel at God's goodness in Jesus Christ to us and the assurance of our salvation that we see in his resurrection. We begin to realize death is not the end. Death is not as great and powerful as an enemy as it once seemed. There's hope for us. There's new life for us that's being given to us, even here, even now. And a sense of hope and wonder can be restored within us. The Lord is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and rich in love. I wonder what it would be like for us as a people to constantly have this type of dialogue and conversation where someone would come up and say, hey, Bill, I want to tell you about how God is compassionate. I wonder what that would do, Bill. <laughs> and I wonder how Bill would respond in hearing that. Or someone else to come up and say, Mary, I got to tell you about how God is slow to anger. And Mary would listen and respond. And I wonder if we become a community of people who, who allow this verse to dwell among us. <laughs> 
so that we become a storytelling people who again and again and again come back to each other to build each other up by saying, I've got a story to tell. It's a party type of story about how God is good and God is faithful, even when I didn't expect him to be. And yet, there was God. And then this, this other theme that comes up or emphasis that comes up. There's actually a a section in verses 11 through 13 where some variation of the word king or kingdom comes up six times. It's like trying to shove it all together and say, pay attention, this is about God who is king over everything. A God who is king over every aspect of creation. We're in the middle of Christian Education Emphasis Week, or we're launching that for a couple of our local Christian schools. And in a few weeks, Providence Christian's going to do their emphasis. It's going to be, over the next few weeks, this emphasis on Christian day school education and how do we disciple our kids to follow Christ in, in many, many, many ways. That whole emphasis comes down to this type of verse. That what we're trying to do is to come alongside our children and come alongside the next generation and say to them in one way or another and usher them in one way or another to experience that all people may know the wonder of God's mighty acts and the glorious splendor of God's kingdom. It becomes a prayer that undergirds what's happening in Christian education. And it's not isolated. It's saying we just need to raise more people who can be elders or deacons in the church or who can serve as pastors. It's saying in the arts and in the sciences, in literature, in music, in, in every imaginable field of life, we need to declare together that God is king over all creation. And we have the privilege together of discovering how splendid, I like that word, how splendid God's kingship really is. We've started a project, and I was talking about, about it a little bit with the kids here. This pinch pot project. It's a small thing. We're taking little lumps of clay and we're molding them and forming them and shaping them and I encourage you after the service just to walk around look at some up there and look at those come up here and look at them and you'll begin to see that each of them has a different shape to it some of them are finely formed with nice little rims and they even have little markings on them and designs drawn into them some of them some of them are just kind of pushed down with the thumbs and you can see the thumbprints in them There's a sense of these are all different expressions and all different ways of trying to carve it. There's even one here that's shaped like a heart. It's a sense of creativity coming out. But there's a a, a kind of a deeper reason for all of this. There's a wonderful verse in 2 Corinthians that talks about we have this treasure in jars of clay. We have this treasure. It's in 2 Corinthians 4. And it's talking about the grace of Christ and and God's goodness to us in Jesus Christ that has been given to us so that God's power in the world might be shown through us even though we're simply jars of clay. And right after that jars of clay verse, 
Paul, who's writing to the Corinthians, goes to talk about how he suffered in his brokenness, in the things that don't look right and aren't perfectly formed in his life, the things where he's experienced even stonings and threats to his life, things that just don't make sense. And he's saying, even in the midst of the brokenness, we, like jars of clay, simple pieces of pottery, overflow with the goodness of Jesus Christ. So we're going to keep doing this project over the next several weeks, and if you haven't done one, I encourage you to stay after today to do one. And if you don't want to today and you need a few weeks to get up the courage, we'll have the clay out again, and you can do it later on. But the idea behind it is helping us to enter in together, that we can start sharing stories, even if they are visually stories, visual stories up here of God's grace at work in small little ways. God's grace at work among us. That together we might declare the praise and glory of God, not just in one generation, but from generation to generation until the whole world comes to know the goodness and grace and splendor of Jesus our King, God our Father, and the Holy Spirit who is at work among us. Let's pray. We thank you for psalms like this, Lord, that are playful and lighthearted, that encourage us to step out of our seriousness and our self-consuming patterns and to recognize simply how good and faithful you are. We pray that you would fill us with childlike wonder as we remember and recall and share with each other the many ways that we have the privilege of seeing you at work. We pray that we may have eyes to see whether it's through those who have gone before us or those who are coming after us or those who are our peers. That all of us together may be able to be built up in the wonder and grace of Jesus Christ. May you fill us, Lord so that we overflow with your goodness and with your spirit. In Christ Jesus we pray. Amen. I invite you to stand as we sing in response together, How Great is Our God. Please stand. <laughs>